passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our AEW Wrestle Dream review. I am John Pollock, and back for the second night in a row, he is John Cena. Hello, John. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing today, John? I'm doing well. We have just, uh, well, we have a fantastic show, I think, to to run through tonight. And, of course, the headline news that Adam Copeland, the rated R superstar Adam Copeland, making his debut in AEW. Was this an expected debut for you going into tonight's show, John? I think so. As all the pieces and the puzzles kind of came together, we had like the talk of him, his contract in WWE coming to an end, and then the rumors of him coming over. And then once they kind of started hyping up this Christian Cage, Darby Allen match, and once they said it was in a main event, I'm like, okay, this is obvious. And then they kind of like took a while at the end, but you could tell it was definitely going to happen for sure. And when it did happen, they, they over-delivered more than I expected. Obviously, we'll get into it, but with him keeping the music and the, the, the nickname and everything, this is like pretty much Edge, just Adam Copeland now. Yeah, I think that, you know, when you have a licensed song, it gives you the uh, the opportunity to have so, some wiggle room here. Uh, I'll be quite honest, and maybe I, I'm in the minority. I I just think, like, the name Edge, if that's the one thing you've got to lose out of this whole thing, I think at, at this point in time, I don't see it as this giant sacrifice that you're giving up um, in, in terms of, like, the fact that he's obviously got the rated R superstar moniker that I would say is just maybe more valuable for your merchandising and such that, I mean, it's a very easy transition. This is not one where it's uh, you're trying to create something that it was so synonymous that you're that you're losing, for instance. That's what I was mostly surprised about was the Radar Superstar nickname. I'm um, like when Tad said it on commentary, I was like, oh, maybe he's not supposed to say that. But then when Tony Khan put up the graphics saying the Radar Superstar Adam Copeland is always he was, he was in the below. video tease too. It was yeah. like obviously that is uh, something that is uh, safe safe property for them. All I know is if I'm Tony Tony Kimmel right now, I'm just like waiting for that phone call. Like, hey, listen, like this is my spot to to start saying the introduction for for the Radar Superstar again. Uh, very, uh, very possible. Okay, we're going to be getting into the whole review. I'm going to let people know that tonight, uh, obviously, this is a this was a very uh, late starting show, so we are going to limit feedback tonight to calls. So those that are post wrestling cafe members, uh, the link is in your inbox, and you're welcome to call in at the end of our review and we'll take your calls for feedback. And if you want to uh, share thoughts uh, throughout the week, we can uh, make extra time on rewind to raw, but quickly off the top, it is a new month at, uh, 
the Post Wrestling Cafe, and we're going to be going through our whole programming schedule for this month on tomorrow night's show, but do want to let people know that something new that we are testing out is an audio version of the daily news updates that I do. So uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you can look out for these if you are a double-double or espresso member at postwrestlingcafe.com. Everyone will still get the written update as usual, but for those uh, members of the cafe, you will also get an audio version voiced by myself uh, going through the, uh, the news of the day. And another idea that we have come up with is that for all Post Wrestling Cafe members, and this is going to be starting with this Wrestle Dream review, is that we're going to be putting the ad-free versions of uh, Rewind to Raw, Rewind to Dynamite, and the pay-per-view reviews on the Post Wrestling Cafe. So if you are uh, annoyed by ads, the Post Wrestling Cafe will be your uh, your sanctuary for all of that. But tune in on Monday night. We'll be going through uh, some interesting shows that we have coming up this month, and everyone can jump on board. It's six bucks a month, postwrestlingcafe.com. And without further ado, John, are you, are you ready to jump back uh, hours and hours ago as we go through zero hour and a half? You know, as they, as I was getting ready for this show, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm really going to be cutting it because the zero hour is at seven o'clock. I get out of work at six 30. It takes me roughly about 20 minutes to get home. I'll make it just in time. And then I find out last night, Oh no, we're going to make this show starting at six 30. So it's like literally like right as I get off of work. So uh, luckily there wasn't much. I don't think there was any wrestling the first half hour. It was mostly just talking. So I didn't miss much. If, if you are a fan of the, uh, the threesome of Renee Paquette, RJ City, and Stokely Hathaway, then the first half hour gave you a, an extra 30 minutes of content, but really there was uh, very little of note. There was a quick Ricky Starks interview backstage, the highlight being a C.W. Anderson joke that he worked in in 2023, and Eddie Kingston putting over uh, Antonio Inoki. And then we had the opening ceremonies for the show, and this featured a video of various AEW roster members talking about the legacy of Antonio Inoki. And Tony Khan is inside the ring with Rocky Romero, Katsuyori Shibata, and Inoki's grandsons, Hirota and Naoto Inoki, all of them uh, donating... Anoki red scarves and Tony Khan leading the crowd in an each Nissan da chant that um, certainly I think it was it was early in the night and there were probably like half the audience was uh, had had filed in by this point not like one of the memorable uh, chants but I thought this was super cool that they did this and like you could tell like this yes it's it's a pay per view there is a, a a monetary component to this but you can see this show was also very much a labor of love in terms of uh, i i believe a very legitimate affinity that tony khan had for antonio anoki because he like this this show had uh, a like even the the anoki theme that they were using going into the pay per view and the ceremony alone I, I thought was like really nice touches that they had on the show yeah, I was was actually wondering what they're gonna do for Inoki, and I'm kind of happy they did this. Yeah, it was a little like odd with like the subtitles kind of popping on the screen as Tony Khan was leading on the chant. But like you said, it happened early on the show. There wasn't many people in there that probably even saw it, so it's fine. Just get it out of the way, and then obviously Tony can uh, pay his tribute this way. So it was sort of a, a rotating series of announcers, including the revelation of this show in John Moxley. <laughs> but the constants throughout the whole show were Excalibur and Nigel McGuinness. And we had Jim Ross uh, slide in there. And then we had Taz. We had Tony Schiavone even in there. Um, but we will get to John Moxley, who was on the call for the three BCC matches. And my goodness, I there there is never um, a concussion is never a good thing. But if ever there was a silver lining, it was having this guy on commentary tonight that I thought he was he, I, I thought he was one of the highlights of the show. And there were a lot of great things on the show, but John Moxley was one of them. 
I'll say it right now. He was my favorite part of the show. And like, obviously the, the wrestling was amazing on here, but as far as like just having a voice on the show, I think I'll, I'll remember this show, Wrestle Dream, the debut as the show where John Moxley uh, kept adding uh, money to the swear jar as he was on commentary. The zero hour matches, we had four of them. Keith Lee, Satoshi Kojima, Athena, and Billy Starks taking on Shane Taylor, Lee Moriarty, Mercedes Martinez, and Diamante in the opener. There was a We Want Bread chant, and uh, Jim Ross was chanting, uh, I want an explanation, as he wanted to know what the uh, the genesis of the, this uh, longstanding uh, association of, uh, of bread with Kojima uh, originated from. So... Uh, Keith Lee d- did this military press onto Lee Moriarty, but is stopped by Shane Taylor. So he got a little interaction here of the, the former tag members led to Kojima getting the tag and the machine gun chops and doing the big, the big chant with the, the crowd starts was in with spinning wheel kicks and then an O face by Athena onto Lee Moriarty. And then a big bang catastrophe sets up the cozy lariat. And it is Moriarty taking the fall from Kojima in five minutes and 42 seconds Sort of just a warm-up match for the crowd. Nothing wrong with it. And, you know, they had... It, it was a short time. Didn't overstay its welcome. And I think it was the right choice of making this kind of a, you know, get Kojima in there to do his his trademark spots and a place on the card. Yeah, it was a fun little opener. When they first announced it, I was like, wait, excuse me, what? But it kind of made sense with, like, the, the women's side because you have them, these two teams kind of feuding with each other recently. And you have Shane Taylor Promotions and Keith Lee kind of going in it. So, uh, Kojima was obviously like the the odd choice, but it makes sense in this show, Wrestle Dream. Um, I I did like the line. Well, I didn't like it, but I did question like Jim Ross asking what the Bread Club was and this and that. And also, I think Jr. pretty much added himself as not being a regular viewer of Ring of Honor because he was like really like wondering when Athena was going to get like some momentum behind her. I'm like, dude, like she's been winning every single match for the past couple months now in Ring of Honor. I I would say there's there's a case of like several times on commentary this week where you're you're wondering is like everybody watching all of the programming that is under the umbrella of uh, AEW that like just certain little like storyline things and just backgrounds of of certain programs, Josh Barnett and Claudio Castagnoli. This was the random match we we heard about last night. And it's uh, Josh Barnett coming in a man who uh, really was like a disciple of like Billy Robinson, but also looking at Anoki as, you know, a huge influence on his career. Of course, did the, uh, did the Tokyo dome all the way back in uh, 2003 and, you know, has a, has a long history with, uh, New Japan. People were even joking. Was Josh Barnett the man that secretly attacked uh, uh, Jay White? Ooh, remember maybe. from that interaction a few years ago in San yeah, Francisco? Yeah, and yeah that, that would make you watched sense. it at the time. Jim Ross and Josh Barnett are calling the show, and Josh Barnett like legit gets up, and you think this is total angle after they had knocked Jim Ross and actually like busted his ribs, and Jim Ross had to go to the hospital the next day. And Barnett just goes into wrestler mode. He's into the ring. He's challenging Jay White. And everyone's thinking this is an angle. And it's Barnett just totally acting on the fly here. And it never really went anywhere. But it was um it was quite the it, it was quite the match with Juice Robinson and Jay White at, at the time. So Moxley comes out with Claudio and he is on commentary and he reveals that Josh Barnett's been his secret weapon over the years, working out with him a lot. They have, they had the blood sport match in 2021 and Barnett is out with an Anoki scarf and we just get some great like grappling at the beginning. And then as Barnett is trying for a knee bar, you've got, you got Moxley as commentator slash coach just yelling, elbow that son of a bitch, light up that son of a bitch. And he continues. Um, we see a dragon screw, some inside leg kicks by Barnett, and Claudio's coming back with uppercuts. There's knees from the clinch from Barnett, and 
I just love the way they start with the grappling. And then when they build to something like an overhead belly to belly, he gets this great reaction. And Claudio's up and his big high spot is the giant swing into an ankle lock with Moxley stating he would poo his pants if Josh Barnett actually <laughs> tapped out. And after a series of jabs, a lariat and a neutralizer, uh, a ground octopus is turned into a crucifix pin and Claudio pins Barnett. And after the match, it's Barnett who gets on the mic and just puts over Claudio saying that he's heard all the great things about Claudio, but now he's experienced him and everybody is correct. And that Anoki would approve of Claudio. He's a fan of his and you rose to the occasion on this challenge. And I hope that we can meet again down the road, keep training. And Claudio just says anytime, any place. And Moxley's like, the pay-per-view hasn't even started yet. We gave you this shit for free. And this would be, uh, I guess he said later he, w- he was fine for his language during this match. But that that was not a deterrent for later. Yeah, this match was great. I obviously want to see more time. When when Barnett was like questioning them doing it again, we had a couple people in the audience kind of chant, like, for Bloodsport. I would love that in the future to see like Claudio get a nice Bloodsport spot uh, during WrestleMania weekend. But um, yeah, the, the highlight of this was obviously Moxley just calling Barnett a, you know, you big bitch and this and that and just kind of throwing in his, his, uh, his, uh, I'm not sure if it was this match or a following match where he was like cursing and like they were telling him, hey, you know, you, we can still hear you even though you're covering up your mic with your hands. He was like trying so hard not to like curse, but he just couldn't help it. He took his, he would take his headset off when he had to swear and yell it. I was like, you're yelling so loud that the mic is still picking it up. Like it is a, you know, a directional mic here that you've got. Um, but nonetheless, it was, it was very entertaining. And I, I thought this match, it was something different on the show that, um, I thought really worked for, uh, the time that they had. It was a zero hour match and, uh, it was a cool little last minute addition to the show. Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne. Uh, Nick Wayne's mom is shown in the audience. She would have a big role on this show and this, was pretty much just like a one-sided squash with Luchasaurus destroying this guy. And Wayne crawls by his mom on the floor and she tries to make Luchasaurus stop, but it is swung into the guardrail. Luchasaurus misses in the corner, leading to a big moonsault by Nick Wayne. The Wayne's world gets blocked and he's just clotheslined in the back of the neck and stays down in 455. And you're watching this and think, wow, this was just a destruction of Nick Wayne here in his home state. But by the end of the night, uh, this would sort of be completely forgotten as Nick Wayne probably having the highlight night of his career by by the time this show was over. So in storyline sense, you would think like within the what the five hours between this match and the main event, Nick Wayne, he literally got like the sense knocked into him. And he was like, listen, I, I can't be doing this, mom. Like, you know, you tried your best to help me out. But I got this giant 65 million old dinosaur beating me up. I, I need to just join their side. He must have made up his mind within the, the span of the pay-per-view. If you can't beat him, join him. He had a long, long night to sit back there and re- reassess things. Like, where am I in my in my career? And the final zero-hour match, the acclaimed and daddy ass against TMDK, Shane Haste, Mikey Nichols, and Bad Dude Tito for the trio spelts. Uh, Max uh, rapped about uh, tentacle porn. The mighty don't kneel, but he saw them kneeling at the glory hole. And then a reference to the new era. What have you thought of Max's? Uh, he even threw in a slapjack uh, joke to Shane Haste. He's like, going to get slapjacks. That was a nice little touch to the uh, the retribution days. How did this stack up to your uh, concert the other night? Um, not as not as uh, witty as a, as a Method Man or as hardcore or as a, as knowledge based as a Nas, but um, he, he did okay. He did okay, I think, going into this show. Yeah, for those that maybe are not uh, aware, on Friday, uh, John went to see Wu Tang and Nas, and that is where Way. I don't know if he's currently there. The show might be over by now. Yeah, I think but- it's done by now. 
How, how how was the show overall? Do you think Way would Way have been satisfied with the with the performance? Yeah, I spoke to him a little bit about it. He thought the show was great, honestly. And it's funny because like their set list was pretty much the same set list as me. So like through the show, mm-hmm. he's like asking me things and saying things. And I know the answer to it. Like he was like, "Oh man, the entire Wu Tang is here except Met the Man." But me in my head, I know that they're gonna Met the Man for the second act. And I was like, "Oh, that's a shame." I guess he couldn't make his way to Toronto. And then like five minutes later, he's like, "Never mind, Met the Man's oh, here." And, like that's good. He, yeah, you're a good friend to not uh, blow it for him. Yeah, his wife really got into it because uh, ODB's son is uh, like taking his his dad's spot and he performed uh shimmy shimmy y'all which waiting told me was his uh walkout song at his wedding oh okay is he is he does he go by like ydb he does yeah he's the uh he the does master. yeah he's ydb <laughs> okay that was just me being an idiot so that's that's great i uh i missed this show but uh, i'm glad that you and way respectively had sounds like had great times uh but here for the trios belt uh the trios title match uh we saw scissor me timbers onto nickels they do the three-man scissoring in the center and uh nigel just had constant jokes about Jim Ross scissoring and he did not seem amused by this hot gun. A hot tag is made to gun and Tito sidesteps the famouser, lands a German max breaks up the cover and then gun ends up uh, ducking Tito and finally hits the famouser followed by the arrival and the mic drop as the acclaimed retain the belts pinning bad dude Tito in 921. I did think overall that um, TMDK was um, a really good trios unit here for the like nine minutes that they had. There was throw out that promo from collision they had no build up here it was coming in cold the, the result was uh, of no doubt for anyone but i i like the three of them together here in in the spot i know that their you know their primary work is going to be over in new japan but i i think like this is a this is a really good um threesome that they had and you know fun fun match i wouldn't say zero zero hour i'd recommend claudio and josh barnett i wouldn't say anything else you have to drop what you're doing but um certainly that was uh it, it, it was an easy hour of wrestling to watch. Yeah, it kind of it kind of flew by, and I feel the same way about TMDK, specifically Haston and um, Thorn. I definitely want to see them. Sorry, Haston Nichols. I definitely want to see them more. I know they filmed a match on Ring of Honor, so obviously, if your schedule permits, I wouldn't mind seeing them more on uh, a W tag team division. And one thing I think we forgot to mention was during the Inoki celebration, right at the end of it, they just like cut to Christian Cage, who was watching. That's right. <laughs> the celebration which is like kind of funny it's like he's is he like eyeing who's he eyeing here who's here without a father so it was kind of a, a an odd they finish uh, the ceremony and yeah he's just scoffing in the back and you're thinking like wow are they going to do something on the show where he like disrespects anoki or slaps around these grandsons or something yeah, that's but what I it thought. was it was more so he's just there for the cutaway for everyone to think of what what they might do and it was it was actually like a pretty clever thing to do with yeah. the christian character on to the main show and starting the, the pay-per-view is Excalibur, Taz, and Nigel McGuinness. And we are kicking off with the two-on-one handicap match. <laughs> Man, this feels, and it was, hours and hours ago with MJF taking on Vincent and Dutch of the Righteous for the ROH tag title. So MJF is out and addresses the bullshit rumors that he attacked Jay White, or as he calls him, Tofu, Tofu, and... I do feel this this chant is going to get over for Jay White uh, for all future appearances. This will be his "You suck." Yeah, I feel like anything that MGF can say at this point, whether it be a wrestling move or just a chant, it's going to get over at this point. And Tofu is just another one. So for all the uh, the the theories about what this match would lead to, any secret partners, they just did this a straight handicap match, and MJF either he is the the most brilliant guy, or he's just um, or maybe you just. This guy has figured out wrestling because he comes out and he just says what his objective is for the match. And the crowd gets 100% behind this. And his objective was, uh, first of all, he denies attacking Jay White. Someone stole his devil mask out of his bag and calls them the dollar store devil reject dickheads. 
and he's going to lift Dutch and body slam him. And then he's going to grab Vincent by his dirty hippie hair and shove him up Dutch's ass. And that was, um, that was maybe the more ambitious spot that, uh, how are they going to do this? But that's what the crowd had. And this match was like, like this is like wrestling, like out of like a house show of like any era. It was just so simple of a match, but this audience was all into MJF just trying to body slam him. So he immediately goes for the body slam to Dutch and he can't lift them. So he goes to the floor and he gets this woman in the front row to massage him. And dude, this security like just swats her hand away and was like having none of her touching one of the performers, even though she was like egged on by the performer. But this was quite something uh, to, to watch. So it's a two on one beat down. Vincent is uh, doing Adam Cole's pose and, it's just Max building up and doing like the, the strength spot, trying to lift Dutch. He tries to get him up, but lands on top of him. And then Vincent, th- this was kind of telling John, he hits the spinning cutter that they've been winning all their recent matches with. And when Max kicks out, like not that big of a reaction to this. I don't think half these people even know the righteous is uh, finish that they've been doing on, on television. And I think that is kind of uh, telling of just how much on the radar Vincent and Dutch are of just this short push that they've been receiving. Yeah, especially for a team that's like just now getting introduced to like AEW main programming. It's definitely a tough spot to put in like a main event program with your world heavyweight champion at all people. Um, it's definitely a hard spot for them to try to get over with. And like you said, they didn't even react to the rest to the finishing move. There was this spot and then th- the block of wood, which they set up on on collision to shatter MJF's ankle. And this was where I can't remember who it was, but one one of the announcers just sounded like, what, what's he doing here? Like, what's what's going on? And so... They put the block between MJF's uh, ankles to shatter it, but he grabs Vincent by the balls to throw it or to stop him. And Bryce throws the block of wood out. Vincent misses the the death from above, the swanton. And after Vincent gets a run into the corner, Dutch hits him, staggers, and MJF hits the body slam. And dude, the crowd went nuts for this. It's like here it will dangle a carrot. And then when the dog grabs the carrot, the crowd goes nuts. And that's the MJF formula as a babyface. And then takes Vincent's head and rams it into Dutch's ass. And he's just got to sit here in this <laughs> position for an ungodly amount of time while MJF sets up for the kangaroo kick and hits both of them, hits the heat seeker on Dutch. And I guess to throw him a bone, he uses the rope for leverage to give them some kind of out. And MJF retains the belts in 935. I'm not gonna lie, like when he had Vincent like in Dutch's like ass and he was going for kangaroo kick, I'm like, is he gonna like kick him kick Vincent? I thought that was the position, spot. I thought that was and the he's spot. just gonna go deeper and like I don't I was trying to visualize exactly what they're trying to do here. Um but like you said, MGF clearly knows how to play a baby face. He literally has to say one thing, the crowd gets behind him, he teases the one thing, and then he finally does it and he gets a big pop. Very simple, very simple one-on-one wrestling. This match, I don't know if it's because it was so like literally so long ago, it just felt so out of place with this show. Like all this I'm so glad they put in the opener, John, because I think later in the show, I think this would have been a a lower point of the show. Like I just don't think this vibe, this audience would have it's like you you've trained your audience to be watching just hot match after hot match. Maybe some like MJF's character would have overcome that. But I think this was the only spot you could have put this in um, this or like one or two into the pay-per-view because I think this was probably the best bet. This honestly felt like a zero hour show, but because it's a world champion, we can't put on the zero hour. And I think you mentioned like it kind of felt like a house show vibe. Definitely felt like that. Like it was a fun match, but it just didn't feel like it 
belong with the rest of the card for the most part. I do like the spot they're doing with the uh, the block wood. I feel like they did that in Ring of Honor. I want to say it was when Vincent was with the Kingdom because I feel like I remember Matt Taven somehow doing like the same spot with putting a uh, a block in between the legs and everything. So I kind of like how they introduced that as part of the the Righteous's um, gimmick now. But um, yeah, like we didn't get any sort of like continuation. I know they they teased what happened with the attack and MJF kind of like denying it and whatnot. But other than that, I guess they're limited with Adam Cole not being there. But we got no. Um, kingdom on the show. We got no Roderick Strong presence at all. On this what show. did they have to rush out of their match from Collision? What did they have to do? No idea. No, there's idea. No, no clue. There's no mention of that. So maybe follow up on on Dynamite or Collision this coming week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Eddie Kingston and Katsuyori Shibata followed that. The double title match for the ROH and New Japan Strong Openweight Championship. And uh, uh, they had a, a great match here. I, th- I would say uh, this was the first like really great match of, of the show that had many of them. Uh, Shibata using the figure four and he's working on the knee and then Kingston would get up and have a flurry of chops. They also brought up the fact that, you know, Eddie Kingston was more like your King's Road influence a- as well, but also had like a lot of respect for Anoki. And Shibata, I don't know if any of the broadcasters like jumped on this fact, but it was a great spot where Shibata starts doing the Kawada kicks on Eddie Kingston and Kingston just snaps like he is just angered at this disrespect and fires off these chops and they're trading lariats and boots. Neither goes down. Then they go to their knees and we have uh, a ground octopus. Kingston gets to the rope and then Shibata kicks out at one. There's a Northern Lights bomb for a two count, Urican, and then the new finisher for him, as, as Kawada had requested, the power bomb. And he wins uh, another match with the power bomb in 10 minutes and 58 seconds. And the two, they shake hands, they bow to one another, and they did s- display mutual respect with Kingston giving up the ring to Shibata. And they even played Shibata's music at the end of this as he was uh, in the middle of the ring. But uh, for, for 11 minutes, I thought these two get did uh, excellent job and this was our first uh, of many great matches on this show yeah and we we even had new japan referee uh taito nakabayashi as well calling this match um when this match finished i'm like this is great this is gonna be like my match of the show <laughs> little did i know we had like three or four other matches that are gonna top this but this is exactly what i expected i like how they kind of exchange the hurricanes at the end and yeah i guess he's been doing this power bomb i feel like he's done it like before as like his finisher now like kind of like after the hurricane kind of putting the stamp in it with that power bomb um but yeah i, I love this match i definitely want to see these two kind of go at it again at some point maybe for the pure championship i don't know can, can eddie kingston do a pure rules match i guess we'll find out yeah i think as well like with I, I would state this across the board for all like the different champions, but like Shibata being the one that's pretty much been just ROH specific is an, another person that you could certainly be floating onto the um, more AEW shows as well to have that, that level of exposure and just another name that you can uh, utilize here. Chris Statlander and Julia Hart for the TBS championship. So they go over the history here with Julia Hart making her AEW in-ring debut on May the 11th of 2021, which was a loss to Chris Statlander. And the last time Julia Hart lost was April 25th of last year to Chris Statlander. So quite a lot of history here between the two. And they have done a pretty effective job with Julia Hart in the buildup for this match. I would say like the best work we have seen from Julia Hart, where this character has 
to me kind of solidified itself. She feels comfortable in the role. Yeah, and I do like the fact that they brought that up. And I feel like that's like a Will Washington thing, because whenever I hear him on the AW podcast, he knows his dates and like whenever people lost and won matches. So I feel like he might have kind of threw that nugget into the atmosphere and they definitely uh, picked up on it. But yeah, I, I love this entire build. And I even like how they had like Brody King kind of just in there as like as like a backup heavy for, for Julia Hart. But he, he the, the, his president's felt, obviously. But I like how it's mostly the spotlight on Julia Hart. And it's like her time to shine out of the House of Black now. Hart is delivering knees to the ribs and tries to uh, like kick off of uh, Statlander's back for a senton, but nearly slipped here, but did complete it. Hart then goes underneath the ring as Brody King distracts Statlander and she comes back and she's got the mist in her mouth, but Chris slaps it out of her and goes for the Sunday night fever, which Julia Hart kicks out from. And the crowd's kind of just, you know, they're, they're going along. It's like not bad, not great, but it's, it's just kind of there. And then we see this nasty German by Statlander and she climbs up the turnbuckle and is stopped by Julia Hart who hits this spider suplex and the crowd comes alive. And it was the snap of their fingers. And all of a sudden they wanted to see Julia Hart win this match. They were, it just went from like zero to 10 in an instant. And Statlander stops the moonsault by Julia and you get the crowd booing this. And Hart knocks her down, hits her moonsault, but Statlander gets her foot on the rope, applies the Heartless, and Chris is able to power up to her feet into a tombstone, follows it with the Sunday Night Fever, and pins Julia Hart in 8 minutes and 57 seconds. And Statlander just drags Julia Hart to the edge for Brody King to carry her out. And it seemed like the story of this at the end was this audience very much embracing julia hart and by the end like they they wanted to see her at least a healthy portion of this audience wanted to see the title change now i felt the same like even in the beginning you you kind of heard like sporadic boos for statlander but once she hit that spider suplex from uh julia hart and the camera just kind of zoomed in on her face like she kind of stood there in trance upside down the crowd definitely got behind her as well um and obviously they didn't like the finish but i think it's obviously the right finish to have but this is hands down the best julia hart match that i've ever seen um I for agree. sure like and I think Kate brought this up on Collision Course. I hope it's not a case where, like, Julia Hart loses and, like, they kind of forget about her and move on to the next challenger. Because she definitely has a lot of momentum going to it. Like, you need to start building to programs that don't involve a title. So have Julia Hart feud with somebody else, whether it be somebody on Ring of Honor or whatever the case is. Just give her, like, a story. Give her a feud. Not everything needs to be about a title, basically. So I hope that they don't, like, kind of lose the momentum and slow down on Julia now. Yeah, I think it's it's something where you, you've you've invested all this in Julia Hart and... As we have seen, you go a couple weeks without follow up and it's almost as though it's like air out of a balloon and you, you lose that. And there, I, I think that would be one of my takeaways on this show is Julia Hart having, th- th- there's something there that the audience is in tune with. The Guns, Lucha Brothers, Orange Cassidy and Hook, and the Young Bucks. So the winners receive a future AEW tag title match. And we have Nick Jackson and Phoenix starting off as a preview for Wednesday's match. And then we see Phoenix lift up Orange Cassidy and he immediately starts selling his shoulder and he tags out to Penta and is taken to the floor. He has run into the guardrail and thus taken out of the match. He is taken to the back and never returns. And uh, they and they didn't even focus too much on this. Like the announcers like made reference to it. Um, now, the way the match goes, uh, it, it does feel as though this could have just been a preventive measure where Penta's left on his own and there's a story there. Um but yeah, it remains to be seen. I can't say uh, for, for certain what, what this was, but uh, obviously like he was legitimately hurt and just got cleared on Wednesday and you want to keep him in tune for this match that he's is coming up with Nick Jackson a- as well, but not, not in the sense where they made this like a big, like 
focus like you would a normal angle or something. It was almost like they tried to avoid this. And just yeah, and it's kind of hard. Like when when they when they do this like recently, and they actually have the spot where the person comes back at the end, and kind of you know, like you really don't know, right? And it's yeah. like I'm I like, thought it was going to be like the Tony D'Angelo spot we saw last night. Exactly, that's exactly what popped in my head. But I'm thinking, okay, um, he's fighting what Matt Jackson on on Wednesday, Nick, I'm like, Jack- maybe, Nick Jackson, Nick Jackson. I'm like, maybe they're trying to like just maybe like put some sort of doubt in him retaining that match. But and but that, for that point, I would expect him to come back at the end and maybe take the loss. But no, he he didn't come back at all. So I think yeah, it was a legit injury. Austin then uh, tries to pin Colton, and Matt Paul, Paul Turner is not going for this. And they're like, but that would mean he wins the match. It would also mean they lose the match, wouldn't it? So that's, that's uh, <laughs> Paul Turner. This isn't his first rodeo. Uh, Matt, it, it's interesting to watch Matt. Like he, all these months later, he's still got that left biceps, like all braced up. And like, that was back in March. He suffered that partial tear. It's like, you, you have to wonder like what uh, restrictions he's working with just with that, um, that biceps that he didn't get the surgery for. He just rehabbed it and, and was able to come back by the next pay-per-view after, after that one. Um, Matt Jackson and Hook had a Northern Lights battle, and they really gave a lot to Hook here. Like He ended up getting the better of Matt Jackson and throwing him around the ring. Penta gets in, and he's uh, hit with a backstabber by Austin that a made in Japan is delivered to Colton. And we see uh, Nick with his big sequence of the rolling face buster, moonsault off the edge. And as Hook goes for the red rum, uh, Austin stops it, and an orange punch is delivered, and that sets up the red rum spot. But Nick tags Austin, and he's still got him in the red rum. So Nick comes off the top with a 450 splash onto both guys, which is almost a recipe to, like, shatter someone's arm. But they seem to be okay here. Orange Cassidy makes the save, and then Penta delivers an assisted Fear Factor Gory special onto Hook and Cassidy with the help of Nick Jackson. The Bucks then clear the ring, and then for all the amazing things you see Nick Jackson do, flawless. It looked like he was thrown to the ropes to do like a six one nine, like through like just the Tiger faint kick, mm-hmm. and just totally blew this. And I was like, of all the things for Nick Jackson, uh, but then they just made their their uh, hit their BTE trigger onto Penta, and it is Penta who was a partnerless taking the fall, and it sets up the Young Bucks and FTR that I don't think we're going to have to wait till full gear for. I would suspect title Tuesday next week. Yeah, you got a bunch of shows. Like you said, you have the anniversary show on Wednesday. They could just throw it on there if they want to. Well, no, because you got Nick Jackson wrestling. Nick but yeah, Tyler Tuesday makes sense on the, the following week for sure. Um, the one glaring thing that I that I noticed like going into this match was four of these people already hold titles. I'm not sure what that says like wow. about them, them having too many titles or do they need to put other tag teams in a division that don't already have titles? And I was kind of disappointed by the ending. Like I really wanted like Hook and Orange Cassidy to win. I feel like they have a lot of not a lot of momentum, but a little bit of momentum as they started teaming up recently. And they would be the fresh team going into a match with FTR. Um, but yeah, the, the tried and true formula, Young Bucks versus FTR, you can't go wrong with that. Um, yeah, injury aside, though, this match was okay. I just feel like it got lost with the amazement that was the rest of the show. I guess going in, like this was one of your matches that certainly would have been a candidate. Like this could have been like uh, number one, number two match of the show. It, it certainly was not that, but it was... You know, entertaining for what it was, but I, I think that these eight, certainly there's, uh, there's a better match in there. And yeah. in terms of going with FTR and the Bucks, I, I don't see too many people, uh, complaining about it, but it, it almost feels like that old trope that they would use, um, in WWF in the eighties, where you take it to all the cities. And then when the feud is done, you do it on Saturday night's main event. And this feels, let's do it on, on dynamite next Tuesday when it's a big head to head night. And this is, it, it's one more match but between them. Uh, then we go to Hangman Page and Swerve Strickland. So this is something that has almost become a staple for AEW, where there are some times where it's 
they just treat these as, okay, this is the baby face and this is the heel, but tonight's an away game for the baby face. And they, they went all in here with Swerve. Like he comes out and he does the who's house, like just to reassure the fans, you're supposed to be cheering me. Like the, do not be holding back here. This is what we want. And Hangman played heel for most of this match, playing off of the pen stabbing from the contract signing. And it's not too often that we've had a, a, a pen, a, a stab wound to work over in, in a match as we had here. Yeah, for so, sure. But even this is the match to do it in, right? Why not? Um, I love the whole presentation of Swerve coming out. He had that amazing like robe jacket and obviously the Prince Nana dance is getting over. So you had to have that kind of spotlight here. But he felt like a hometown hero coming home and you knew exactly who you're going to cheer for. And oh boy, did they uh, let Hangman know that they did not want him here in Seattle tonight. Yeah, t- t- tons of heat for Hangman, and he was playing it up, like, just constantly going for the hand, and the crowd would get pissed. He would, like, ram it into the steps and into the post, and then Swerve w- would come back, and the crowd just got with him. He manages a Swerve stomp, and then the house call, uh, only getting a two count, and then misses a stomp onto the edge of the apron, so... Uh, pages then run into the metal turnbuckle and he comes back whipping the hand into the post and hits a dead eye on top of the steel stairs and as he is setting up for the buckshot swerve grabs the foot and they trade slaps hangman bites the injured hand and goes for a buckshot but lands in a drop toehold and swerve pulls back the arm and snaps the elbow as they're explaining that's the buckshot arm and doc Sampson, who was the busiest guy selling uh, injuries on this show is checking on hangman page. And with that, there's a swerve stomp onto the edge of the apron as Sampson is checking on page. And then Prince Nana just goes across your screen doing the dance. And I, I laughed out loud at the timing of, of, of this. And you had the whole crowd doing the dance. He then hits a 450 splash onto the injured arm for a near crazy. fall. Uh, we see Paige come back with a left arm discus lariat, which is the good arm. And then a dead eye gets countered back to an arm bar. Paige just hammer fists onto the injured hand of Swerve. And then Swerve, um, the buckshot is hit, but he can't capitalize and cover fast enough. And then as he goes over, Nana puts the leg onto the rope and he gets ejected by Paul Turner. Crowd hates this, uh, this, uh, decision by paul turner so nana's arguing as page tries for another buckshot but as he goes into it swerve has prince nana's crown and decks page with it and hits a pair of house calls and the jml driver 20 minutes and 12 seconds swerve gets the win and you have the whole crowd doing the uh, the nana dance and um I would say semi semi surprising that they did put Swerve over here. Yeah, I guess with the with the last match, I guess maybe that's the reason why they they be so surprising that they that they did put Swerve over. Yeah, I guess he kind of had to with the the type of reaction. You no, know, the key he didn't bring any of his family to the show that we know of at least. At least they didn't show him on camera. I think that's that's the key. It's like to bring your family, but don't tell anybody so they don't show him on camera because once they do that, then you're you're that's safe. Right. To win it's it's got to be in the crowd. This this match was fantastic. If I say one thing I didn't like about the match is like the Doc Samson spot. Like I like honestly they couldn't like predict what was gonna happen in the previous match with Phoenix, but for them to go like a back to back spot where one was legit that we think and one was not is kind of like saying something. But um this match was great. I just love how like Swerve I feel like he saved up all his specials like in a video game just for this like one match that he was waiting for in Seattle and he just let everything loose at the house calls at the end. That four fifty on the right arm at first, I'm like, did he miss it? And I'm like, oh no. I went back and he he landed it on the arm, which is something yeah. you don't really see in wrestling. 
wrestling. So I thought that was fantastic. Him working on the arm to prevent the buckshot lariat, and then like Nana getting ejected and then like leaving. I didn't even notice the crown. He took off the crown, but he actually, yeah, he left the crown on the, the apron before he left. Um, so I thought this match was amazing. I wouldn't be shocked if people call this the, the favorite match on the show. It's definitely up there for me. Um, but yeah, this match was fantastic and just the perfect right call to have Swerve win this match against a, a big deal, like a former world champion in, in Hangman Page. What's the next step with Swerve? Like, what's the ceiling coming up? This is a huge win. Like, this should be propelled to, like, world title shot. I was going to say he's got to get a world title, especially after he made that comment about being, like, the first black world champion. If you're going to be somebody like Hangman Page, Mm -hmm. a former world champion, I feel like you need to go after the title now. Is it the right time to do him versus MJF? Possibly. That could be another, like, title Tuesday match that you could just throw on for TV. Weird pivot to go from Dutch to Swerve. Yeah, I guess that's true. But, um... Yeah, I think you have to, right? Because, like, international title, I can't see him going after that right now with who's holding it. Um, I think the world champion, after he made the proclamation to become the first black world champion, you kind of have to go after that title. Is that big enough for a full gear um, title program? It could be. But then, like, what do you do? What is, like, a little over a month before full gear? I guess you could hold off till then and just keep Swerve strong with some big wins on on Dynamite. They had Sean Kemp on. uh, We we had several uh, notable people in attendance here. Sean Kemp. And Sean Kemp was like my favorite basketball player when I was uh, growing up. I even had like the, uh, the, the Sean Kemp, like the kamikaze uh, style Reebok shoes. Um, I remember you talking about that, how like you got those instead of, uh, what was it, Shaquille O'Neal? The, the Shaq Gnosis ones, yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, that was always my team. Uh, I always played as Sean Kemp and uh, Detlef Shrimp in uh, NBA Jam. Nice. And then later they showed uh, Demetrius Johnson in uh, the front row. And that one was hilarious because they're building up him and Kenny Omega are doing uh, like, they're having some head to head video game battle on Tuesday. And they teed it up as like uh, Demetrius Johnson versus Kenny Omega. And Mox is like, for real. And he thought it was happening on dynamite and was just like, just such a great moment of him. He, thinking the way he, he legit didn't know. He's like, wait, are you serious? Like, this is this actually happening? <laughs> like, they know it's, it's a, it's a video game battle. <laughs> I would, I would totally love to see like just a legit like grappling match, Danielson and Demetrius Johnson on like any episode, just put it out there. And those guys, they could put something together in 20 minutes and I promise you it would be great. So anyway, um, not Sean Kemp though. I don't think Sean Kemp needs to be doing any grappling. Nah. Wheeler Yuta and Ricky Stark. So Moxley is back on commentary. I was very happy for this and he's paired with Jim Ross and man, I would love Jim Ross and Moxley together. That should be the rampage team right there. And Moxley notes he got fined earlier for some of the language he used on Zero Hour. That did not stop him from moments into the match yelling, Yuda, make him pay for that shit. Make him pay for that shit. And this just kind of like just- the other... Uh, other co- commentators reaction like hey uh, john you know you have a, a, a cough button that you could use right and then you know just because you cover your mic with your hand doesn't mean we can't pick it up on our mics like just hilarious and just kind of like one thing after another and just like just keeps dropping the, the the swears left and right yeah i i love that it's um aew that has the um they're squeamish about swearing of all places um but we have Yuda and starks here so uh, they start off with a really nice grappling sequence and Moxley's explaining that open hand slaps, they're just disrespectful. And Starks does the rope walk and they're trying to see if Moxley is disgusted by this. He's like, that's actually pretty badass. And Moxley, even a shout out here to Justice Payne during the match. Then Big Bill gets involved. He comes down and Starks goes for the hammer and anvil elbows, but Yuta just no sells, gets to his feet, fires back, big lariat to him, and then shoves Yuta. Uh, sorry, Yuta shoves Starks off the apron onto Big Bill on the floor. And then Bill is running to the post after trying a choke slam to Yuta. And we have elbows from Yuta, tries for the seatbelt, only gets a two count. And then Starks comes off the ropes with a spear and a Rochambeau 
in nine minutes and 47 seconds. More Spears to come on tonight's show. My favorite part of this match is like, I think it was Excalibur was like, oh, you got to give it up to Big Bill for really helping out, um, you know, Starks here winning. And, and Moxley's like, no, he really didn't do anything. He just kind of got tossed into the ring post. And that was pretty much it. So I thought that was hilarious. Um, if there was one match that didn't really need to be on the show, I feel like it was this one. This could have easily been on a Dynamite or a Collision, even a Rampage. It kind of felt out of place. But on the other side, I do like how they're giving Ricky Starks a little bit of shine and actually having him getting a victory on a pay-per-view, which is big for him as well. Um, but this, I feel like this match just definitely didn't get didn't need to be on this like 14 match uh five plus hour show yeah I-, I thought the wrestling was good for what it had they didn't overstay at 10 minutes but it was one where like the audience took a dip during this one i think it did feel like a you know an excess match on on the show but i didn't have too many complaints about it but that sets the table for zach saber jr and brian danielson and Moxley's sticking around for this one and uh he added a lot i thought to this match like his I thought the biggest strengths for John Moxley, number one, he has the appeal of you don't know what this guy's going to say. And that's like a fun dynamic to have for a broadcaster. Number two, when he gets into the technical discussion and breakdown, he's really good. He's very good. But to me, the greatest value of him is his authentic excitement he had and this match was the perfect example of it he elevated the match by he became a fan it's so evident the level of respect he has for brian danielson and watching him here and it was like contagious this excitement that this guy had like he very much could be aew's joe rogan except he's also one of your main event guys on on top of it i think they have something remarkable in john moxley that if um you know uh schedule permitting like i can't see them giving him a weekly uh position but i think you probably just threw him out here as like hey it's a chance to get him on the show and what you came out with was man here is yet another guy that we could put in this role and he's very good yeah i feel like this might have been like a kind of like last minute decision like hey let's just let the people know that you're doing okay let's put you out there and do some commentary and i looked up like his like history he only did like commentary for like one wrestling revolver show like pretty recently but other than that he's had no experience in it and like you said he comes off amazing and you can tell he's not somebody who takes notes or you know goes and does research he's just doing everything it's just genuine the just, like the guy's a fan he knows all of this stuff it's like he he lives this and just get conveyed it and mm-hmm. i'd be very curious if it was um just a spontaneous call after the the reviews that everyone was having after the Claudio match of let's send them back out there for the other BCC matches. Even some little things like when Nigel was talking about like Brian being like the second best thing at Aberdeen besides like Kurt Cobain. And then you had like Moxie was yeah, like uh, talking about Yukon Eric and yeah, Yukon Eric. And then like Moxie even brought up like Jimi Hendrix, like being from there, like little things like that, that like you don't really get from like your average commentator. So Moxley, uh, Moxley's out there. And I, I thought like, honestly, like, Jim Ross, like he has his detractors and such. I I thought Jim Ross was really good on this show and I thought he was excellent in this match. And I thought he gelled very well with John Moxley. Like the two of them, I thought they played off each other really well. Danielson comes out, he's in the Seahawks colors and they're comparing this to the 60 minute draw that Anoki had with Billy Robinson back in 1975 to determine the best technical wrestler. And also, as a nice nod here, they had Aubrey Edwards as the referee for the match as well, a a Washington native. So we start off, and it's standing switches. The crowd is electric at the beginning. They see this as a dream match. They're treating it as such. Uh, Zach's trying for the octopus. Danielson with an Indian death lock. And they try the double crab hold. And it looked like they wanted to, like, balance on their heads for a bit longer, but they lost the position quickly. But the crowd was, like, all ready to just go nuts for this. Moxley is going on about... Man, Danielson's into some weird stuff. He reads about tantric sex. And then moments later, he's like, 
you know, right now it's just a big, big, uh, big swinging Johnson contest that they're having. Excalibur and- couldn't change the subject even quicker when he brought up the fact that Danielson reads a lot of weird sexual stuff. And Excalibur like, pivoted well, over anyway. to like an Anoki tribute moment about after the tantric sex comment. And it was just so funny to hear the transitions here. There was no strikes thrown in this until like seven and a half minutes in when uh, we see like uh, uppercut exchanges and Danielson using the left arm instead of the, the right one that he had broken uh, against Okada. And Zach is trying to goad him into using the right one. And that became Zach's target going after the right, the right arm. He bent the middle finger. Then after a backflip out of the corner, Danielson rolls to a half crab and we see a series of dragon screws. He, he hits three in total. The second one is maybe the most violent looking dragon screw I've ever seen. And I thought that he just tore out Zach's ACL on pay-per-view. I saw a gif of that specific oh dragon screw in slow motion and it looked like his ankle was just being like snapped out of existence by Thanos. It just like I don't know what was happening with that. But it was I'm like, like the I'm- knee torqued and yeah and the ankle like went at a different angle yeah. and it just looked like the the worst dragon screw you've ever seen. Um but man it just uh, and then they replayed like either the first one or the last one but not yep. the middle one. It's like no. the middle one was like <laughs> an all timer there. They're on the buckle, and then Zach is torquing the arm. Nigel's comparing it to Volcon, and we see a butterfly suplex by Danielson, and he transitions to the submission he beat Okada with, but then moves to a half crab, and it's Zach getting to the rope, and Danielson starts stomping him. Zach ducks a busaiku, and we get a, a pair of European clutches for some near falls, tries for another one, and Danielson now has it scouted, goes for cattle mutilation, and we get the two transitioning into like a 50-50 guard, and they're trading slaps, kicks, and there's a PK to the arm. Zach hyperextends it, and Nigel's yelling, think about your wife, think about your kids, retire now. And then it's Moxley taking the mic down. Come on, Brian, fuck that guy. <laughs> the guy was the best. And then it's an elevator sweep by Zach to an arm bar. Brian scrambles and hits the regal plex. And then in maybe one of my favorite spots of the year, Zach gets up, his knee buckles, so his head goes down, boom, the Busaiku hits him dead in the face, and it's a two count, and Brian then takes the pad down, hits the Busaiku for a second time with, with without the knee pad, and wins in 23 minutes and 12 seconds, and to quote John Moxley, who just sat back like he needed a cigarette, holy shit, was his uh, recommendation at the end. I couldn't have said it better than Moxley said. This was my match of the night. Fantastic match, up and down. This is exactly what I wanted from these two. The crowd was totally into it. The commentary, I feel like not having Moxley on it, like, obviously would have been an amazing match, but just like that cherry on top of having Moxley just have his, like, hardcore, like, raw commentary to this only made this match so much better. Um, th- Yeah, I can't even say much about this. Just, just watch this match. This is, like, hands down one of the best matches. I can't even, like, picture a rematch. Like, what? What did they do in this match that they could possibly do in the rematch? I'm I'm scared to to find out. Um, but yeah, that dragon screw. Like I went back and watched it so many times. Like there was so many spots in this match. But yeah, I agree that Busaiko knee and just Moxley getting on his feet and screaming, "Fuck that guy!" Just there was so many like highlights. It felt like a little mini movie in a way. Yeah, I mean. God, I, I looked at this year as one where you just feel like match of the year was going to be so unattainable after we, we saw the Omega and Osprey matches, and they still might be people's front runners. But when you couple Danielson with um, the MJF match, the 60 minute Iron Man, when you consider like the Forbidden Door match that has like this whole like 
different context to it when you're watching it with the knowledge that he's working with this broken arm. And then you throw this in there as well. I mean, this to me was, was top tier. It was my match of the show. I think this was one of the best matches of the year. Quite honestly, I, I thought this was like up there among like AEW matches, which is like a pretty lofty standard of like some of the all time matches that, that we have seen, but this was uh, uh, just unbelievably great. Do, do you, I, I would say if you did not have this, the, the, the edge surprise at the end. Do you think that would have been the only thing that put that in the main event as opposed to this? I think so. I think this probably would have been a main event, especially the way that this match played out. But once he found out the whole edge thing, they have kind of have to switch it around a little bit. The fact that these two were supposed to have a match at what Forbidden Door twenty twenty two last year's like one. Yeah, one? that was yeah. We're Claudio and, and it, the match. And it built this up, and this match was. The second of five matches that was 20 plus minutes. And I have to admit that none of these matches felt that long. Like they, the way that these matches flew by, they definitely did not feel like they, like they, they slugged on too long or they just kind of overstayed their welcome. I feel like they did fantastic. Um, but yeah, just, I want to see a rematch with these two. It's like, I don't know when you do it. Like maybe not full gear. That's a little bit too soon, but I definitely want to see part two. And hopefully this, they have like a, a fantastic trilogy coming out of this. Yeah, it was uh certainly, you know, I, I would recommend the, this whole pay-per-view, but this would be the, the match above all else. And Danielson offers his hand, Zach rolls out, and Danielson just stays in the ring, and then he raises Aubrey's arm and gives her a hug as well. So a cool uh, full-circle moment for those two as, as well. Yep. Uh, then we saw Demetrius Johnson not getting Demetrius Johnson against Kenny Omega on Dynamite this week, but they uh, they will be battling on on Twitch or some platform. Maybe we'll get Demetrius versus Pac. Wasn't that like the the storyline with Pac supposed to get like the Mighty Mouse gimmick and whatnot? So maybe they can kind oh of my uh, goodness, that, yeah, they can they can they can go back to that and have these two feud over that name. Will uh, will this Kenny Omega Demetrius Johnson match be covered on Shot in the Dark, or do you have your limits? What is it? It's a Street Fighter match. They're playing a video game. I'll check it out. I'll check it out and see if anything comes out of it. I'll talk about it on Shot in the Dark just for you. Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega, and Kota. We, we follow this match and look what's got to follow it. We've got like Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega, and Kota Bushi against Will Ospreay, Kanosuke Takeshita, and Sammy Guevara. Like the depth on this show was incredible. Taz is back on commentary with with Excalibur and Nigel Moxley had certainly uh, earned his uh, earned his uh, his wage tonight. Omega and Osprey start the match, so the crowd is like right to their feet. Like there was no come down after the last match. They were really hot for this, and the heat for Don Callis as he comes out with the family and they've got the, um, uh, her name escapes me, the artist, but I, I retweeted it, but they've got her newest, uh, work is a mural of the last supper with Don Callis as like Jesus. And Sammy Guevara is Judas in this, uh, in, in this mural. It looks amazing. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Her name is Mel Coleman. I, I know yes. you, you retweeted this. So check it out on John's uh, Twitter, but yeah, I thought this was amazing. As soon as I saw this, I'm like trying to see like who was, who was everybody else, but it looks like their faces were blurred out, which is kind of cool. Cause like in the long run, if you do want to add on more members of the Don Callis family, you kind of like just put their faces in and kind of make the full of uh, last supper. If you want to see with the Don Callis family. Callus had a ton of heat, and so did Sammy Guevara when he was tagged in. Do you feel that Sammy Guevara is in the role he needs to be right now? Do you think he has fully clicked, or is there still work to do there? The, the thing with Sammy is, ever since like he started AEW, he's been part of a faction, right? He was an inner circle, then he was in Jericho Appreciation Society, so he's like never going to be on his own because now he's right into the Don Callis family. So I feel like either like he doesn't, I don't, I doubt that he doesn't have his own like belief that he could be good on his own. But I feel like the, the crowd hasn't seen that yet, the audience hasn't seen that yet. So I feel like he's just not getting the opportunity to really showcase because he's always like not even the first guy in the group he's always like the second or third member of the group if you go like by like you know list order well the match um this this was another uh 20 plus minute uh, affair here and 
we get a standoff with all six, and then you got the baby faces doing the Inoki, each Nissan Da for the crowd. And they were much louder here. Once you've got, uh, you know, there were apparently like over like 6,000 people. They had all filed in by this point, so it was much louder uh, later in the show. Osprey and Omega, um, Osprey has Omega in an abdominal stretch, and then he holds on to Guevara, who holds on to Takeshita, who holds on to Callus from the floor. And then later the baby faces would do this. It's a while until Ibushi is finally tagged in. He does the golden sex gods pose with Chris Jericho. And then there's a chant of golden lovers when Omega and Ibushi are in. They're battling Guevara two on one. They do the cross slash followed by Jericho with a lion salt. And man, there was just a ton of stuff in here. Omega does the Terminator dive to the floor. Guevara hit this incredible shooting star press off the top to the floor. On that was Omega. scary looking as well. Like he, I, I went back and saw that. I think he kind of like landed on his ankle. There's a lot of scary spots. Even when uh, Takeshita was delivering like the German soup snap suplexes onto the top of the necks. There was a lot of scary spots, but these guys are obviously professionals. So I, I was, I wasn't worried too much. Jericho ends up getting beaten down and it's three on one and he's trying to fight them off, but the numbers are too grand. And so then Kota Ibushi just stares down at the floor and we get the arrival of murder Ibushi yes. and he starts dropping Guevara, dropping Osprey. He comes to, down to strikes with Takeshita and then he was like thrown up and went to land on his feet and like lost his balance. The Kamagoye gets stopped by Osprey and then everyone's in. They tease a one winged angel onto Osprey, but Kenny is sent with a Rana to the floor and uh, Osprey follows that with the sky twister press. And here's a guy like uh, Osprey. He had got the whole uh, suction cup therapy all over his back. Yep. So that was probably um, his going away present after Yoda Suji last week. But um, uh, didn't stop him in, in this match, even with a, with a six man. Judas effect is hit to Osprey. And then Aubrey starts tending to Will's neck as he pretends like this Judas effect has jacked up his neck. So she's distracted. And meanwhile, um, there's a there's a GTH turned into the walls. and the Aubrey is not watching this. Um, and Callus nails him with uh, Jericho's own bat. And then Will is grabbing his IWGP UK title. And now Aubrey is distracted a second time. So you kind of did back to back distraction spots, which I have to imagine someone was just like, they were on a different page. Like it was just supposed to be one distraction and the bat shot. But we, we got like two separate spots here with the distraction to Aubrey. And then anyway, Jericho's laid out from the bat and Guevara pins Jericho in 22 minutes and 10 seconds. So that's the heat on Guevara. Uh, I, I wasn't crazy about the closing sequence here with like the, you know, after this match you had, but that, and more so just like the execution of it as well. It just felt like kind of off that you had to make Aubrey look so uh, just out to lunch here, back to back times, like just uh, looking kind of um, just clueless here at the end. But what did you think of the, the match as a whole? Yeah, you pretty much took the words out of my mouth. I liked the match up until the ending. It just it was too much. It was too much of a clusterfuck. At one point, Aubrey even like connected eyes with Don Callis as he's in the ring and he just mm. kind of like had to turn like she didn't see him or whatever. It was too much going on. And I agree. Maybe it was like supposed to be one sequence, but because it got like everything was kind of lost in translation, it kind of got messed up a little bit. Um, but before that, everything before that was definitely good. I love the spot with Coda. And uh, Takeshita kind of going like head to head. It kind of reminded me of like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like meeting like the new Terminator in like part five, whatever the case is, and kind of having to fight his own like younger self. Uh, by the way, I'm looking forward to the Predator review coming up uh, this week on Post Wrestling. Yeah. Um, 
plenty of people had time to bleed in uh, in AEW. Uh, <laughs> but that will be coming up this week. Yes, our look at Predator, a film I had never seen actually before really? the, the, this week. So traveling back to 1987. But yeah, 22 minutes, 10 seconds. Obviously, you can pair up so many different combinations coming out of this. You've got Jericho and Takeshita, which is like what? six weeks until that match. So you got plenty of time for that. Um, more you can do with Jericho and um, Omega together. Um, and I guess the question mark here, John is like Kota Bushi, who I would still say like, he, he certainly feels like he's missing something. Like uh, it's a pretty high standard of what your, his background is and what you hold him to. But he does feel as, as someone that it's just, even in the six man, like I, I still feel like he's, he's a step off. I think he needs to have like that one big singles match in AEW, like whatever you get to catch the, who, who could be whoever, honestly, to kind of like get him back into people's like eyes as like the best rest, one of the best wrestlers in the world. Um, one thing I thought also, did you think that like Will Osprey kind of like kind of felt out of place? Like, especially with the entrance that came out with like that Don Callis family music, it just didn't really fit Osprey. I feel like at this point of his career, I feel like he shouldn't really be in this role. Hopefully it's like a temporary thing just to do this match, but I feel like he doesn't really fit in with this Don Callis like vision. I think it was tough because you had to give them, I think, enough of Osprey and Omega without people feeling cheated from it. And I, I think you kind of achieved that. But I think you don't want that. You didn't want that to, like, overshadow everything because it's not the central program in this uh, three-on-three. It, it's obviously a connection that, that you have and don't want people to forget. Um, but that easily could have just been the whole focus of the, of the match that everyone wants to see this third match between the two. But, you know, the... The prime focus, I guess, was was the Jericho Guevara program and this alliance with Jericho and Omega that I, I see them continuing with after this. Like that that crowd in Seattle on Saturday night for Collision, like man, they were very behind those two. Yeah, and supposedly Jericho he trademarked the what the Golden Jets as like a team name possibly for him and yeah, Omega. So I, mean, I could definitely see them kind of staying together. And, and uh, I don't know they don't have any does Brett Hall not have a maybe a a gripe with that, like for on behalf of his father or anything. That's a good point. And I don't, they don't have any shows coming up to Winnipeg, but imagine like just them two headlining Winnipeg as a tag team. That would be fantastic. They drew very well in Winnipeg. They, they should go back at some point. So in our, our cool down match was uh, <laughs> one of the best matches of 2022. It's FTR against Aussie Open one year to the day of Royal Quest two last year. So, um, you have the tag titles here defended by FTR. And early on, it's Aussie Open with a collider on the floor. And they got the heat on Cash Wheeler for like the first half of this match. And they're just cutting off the ring. Dax can't get the tag. And Davis is uh, using like wrist control and just uh, dropping them with lariats. And then Dax misses. Uh, Dax finally gets the tag and misses a swan dive headbutt. They hit the Aussie arrow onto Dax for a two count. And then there's this spot where FTR goes for the power and glory onto Mark Davis. And as they hit it, Mark Davis grabs his wrist and it's, he's just grabbing this thing. And then Fletcher dives onto Dax and they crash on top of Cash and Davis. And God knows if like more damage was done, but for the rest of this match, Davis like could not use this arm. And if you're watching this, they go for this shatter machine onto FTR and it was a very clunky version. But yep. when you see the replay, dude, Davis said Davis was the one hoisting him up and he does it with one arm. He can't use his like right arm to get him up into position. And he worked like, what would you say? Like another like 10 minutes yep. with this wrist and hopefully he didn't break it or anything. But I mean, he was, uh, th this wrist definitely looked hurt. 
Yeah, for sure. I, this match was fantastic. Obviously, we'll get to the finish, but like, there was a one spot with like Dax and Mark Davis going like head to head with like cha- chops. I just want to see those two have a match. Like, oh, like yeah. you don't really like this certain pairing that you don't like vision, but once you actually see it in front of your face, you're like, oh yeah, Mark Davis versus uh, Dax Harwood. Give me that match on a dynamite. Yeah, I mean, Mark Davis and, and Kyle Fletcher, like as we've seen over the last year when there have been injuries and such, like these two on their own are like they're tremendous talents, like yep. separate from one another. Um, so the match continues, and there's the, the Coriolis, and Dax makes a save. They hit Davis with a spike pile driver onto the edge of the apron. That takes him out, and Fletcher gets launched off the top turnbuckle into a super shatter machine with Cash pinning him in 20 minutes and 38 seconds. Awesome finish to this match. Um, I, I wouldn't put this at the level of last year's because that crowd last year for Royal Quest was insane, but... Um, this was excellent as well. You can add this to the list on the show. Yeah, I mean, this is like what one of the first matches that was announced for this card when they first announced it, and people expected it to be like, you know, match of the year. Not saying that it can't be up there, but like, like yeah, the first match was obviously a lot better, and then the rest of the matches on this card were like far more superior, I feel like. So this match kind of gets lost a little bit, but I still enjoyed it. Like I said, that Dax and Davis spot, uh, when they hit that like an assisted crescent kick like off the shoulders of Davis, that was ridiculous. Um, my favorite part of this match, though, was Taz like asking Nigel what the Aussie, Aussie, Aussie thing is. And Nigel's trying to explain it. He's like, oh, it's like a Commonwealth thing. And then uh, Taz is like, oh, is that like an England thing? I don't know. I'm from the boroughs of New York. And then Nigel's like, oh, you know, you should go there. And uh, Taz is like, oh, I was just there. And Nigel's like, no, Australia, not not England. Like, just like a back and forth <laughs> between Nigel and Taz, which is hilarious. And I'm like not understanding between like Taz and uh, JR asking what, what the bread club is. I feel like you do like a whole like spinoff podcast, like with like the, the new commentary team explaining to the, the old regime, like what certain terms mean. Nigel McGinnis explains the world. That can be his podcast. Um, I enjoy Nigel a lot. I, th- I think he's like a, a fresh new voice, and I, I I've missed him like just on, on commentary on, on the regular. I think he's been great on Collision. But the main event is Christian Cage, Darby Allen, two out of three falls for the TNT Championship. Cage comes out with Luchasaurus and sends him to the back, and then Nick Wayne comes out with his ribs taped up, and he gives Darby a long hug, the long hug goodbye, mm. and then goes to the back. And do I don't know how much of you you caught this, but all of a sudden, Darby, he just starts destroying his skateboard on the steps, and then he's bleeding. And I'm was- pretty sure the skateboard must have just caught him in the – it was right under his eye. Okay. It's like, dude, this guy could have, like, lost an eye just from this skateboard spot. Like, I saw that. Darby like, could I- do this. I was confused. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting type of face paint that he's wearing. Today. I thought it was, <laughs> like, makeup, too. I was like, Darby's just got some weird, like, blood tear or something. But, no, it was like they, they showed it. It was like, he's cut. He cut Jeez. himself before the bell even rung. Before he had any contact with Christian, he already cut himself open. That's anyway. ridiculous. So don't don't smash skateboards over the steps. First of all, it was only five minutes, and Cage controlled most of it. And then Cage does, like, this double bicep pose to the crowd. He's giving them the middle finger. And then Darby comes, yanks the turtleneck over his head and jackknife cover to get the pin in five minutes out of nowhere. And crowd went nuts for this. And as Nigel said, Christian Cage has done to turtlenecks what Britney Spears has done for visible thongs. Yes, and then uh, I, I think Taz was uh, just speechless at that one. Like, not the analogy I was expecting from you, Nigel. Thank you. He even mentioned how Darby had like nails like Cher, and Excalibur was like Cher, and Taz was, like, this is the first person I could think of. I'm sorry. Okay, that's- <laughs> the second fall, uh, Cage spots Nick Wayne's mom. Does Nick Wayne's mom, has she been given a name on, on the broadcast? I'm not familiar with her actual name. No, I don't think she has, honestly. I'm just saying, on the broadcast, we have never heard her refer to anything but Nick Wayne's mom. I don't think they called her anything but that. Honestly. This is like Stacy's mom. Like she just doesn't have a name. There we go. For a Nick's dated mom. reference. 
Cage just slaps Darby in the corner. Darby comes back with a code red for a near fall, and he's going for all these different covers. And then she, uh, Nick Wayne's mom, uh, starts, uh, Cage walks up to her and she's pretending she's interested, but then throws a drink into Cage's face. They don't know what was in this. Uh, hopefully it was not alcohol because that was a, that was a previous AEW incident. Yeah. And then Darby hits a tope suicida after Cage takes his drink to the face, hits a coffin drop on the floor and tries one in the ring, but lands on Cage's knees. And then these steps are set up on the floor and cage is on the edge of the apron. He lifts up Darby and goes to throw him from the apron onto these steps, but he drops him short and he lands on the floor. Now me, John, I'm thinking that is like a sign from another power that was just telling you, you escaped death. Just consider yourself lucky. No, because instead cage goes to the floor. First, he suplexes him from the floor And then Darby's like, do it again. And they go back onto the apron and Cage lifts him up almost like a Michinoku driver and throws him down onto these metal stairs. And dude, this was like the most painful looking spot you could envision Darby Allen taking. I don't know what this guy's back is going to look like in like two years, much less 30. Uh, but he gets counted out. Uh, they go about nine minutes or so of the second fall as a uh, Doc Sampson's uh, on on probably half work, half shoot uh, duty here. Yeah, this was like it was uncomfortable at times. Honestly, like it got to the point where whenever Christian would like lift up Darby, I literally got like sick to my stomach and I got worried about what was happening. And I know we're all enjoying this, obviously, but I, I swear to God, I hope like 10 years from now, we look back at like Darby kind of like talking about all his injuries and we're going to be looking at each other like, oh, but we all fucking loved it at the time, didn't we? We all enjoyed it. And uh, he kind of has to live with it now. So I hope it doesn't get to that point. But I legit got scared with Cage. Just like you could tell he was struggling to even like try to get a good grip on Darby. So he just like dropped him the best way he possibly could. And it did not look good at all. I mean, yeah, this was like when he came up short, I was like, God, talk about like a happy accident that yeah. you, you miss this and just let's like take it as a sign. Um, but that, that is not how Darby Allen uh, res- responded to this. This was just a totally like nasty, nasty bump. So the stretcher is brought out. They put Darby on the stretcher and Cage comes off the top with a frog splash onto the stretcher. I mean, the fact that that is like almost forgotten about, like yeah. that alone. Was, oh yeah, that happened like, to a bit of it. <laughs> yeah, like stretch is not going to break. It's like, uh, I don't know how much of your fall is being cushioned here. So he takes the splash. And meanwhile, Cage has torn up the whole ring apron. So it's just the wooden paneling underneath. And he applies a scorpion death lock onto Darby who reaches the rope. And it's Darby who uses his, his share fingernails to the face and hits the scorpion death drop, goes for the coffin drop, and it hits. Christian kicks out of the coffin drop, and the whole place goes nuts. They both fight on the turnbuckle. It's a sunset bomb by Cage onto the wood, and then misses Darby and spears Bryce. It was really well-timed. Um, the only thing, Bryce had, like, the nicest landing onto, like, the padding part of the apron, but um, he's out from this. Um He's not like Dragon Lee last night, who took a super kick uh, and was out for like eight minutes uh, on the floor. Like that was a hell of a super kick. Yeah, we made that uh, joke that like when you when you wear a referee shirt, I guess like your energy just gets lower because you can't take the same type of damage if if you don't have the wrestling shirt, the referee shirt on. The only explanation. So Cage low blows Darby and then he grabs the TNT title, but Nick Wayne runs down and he yanks the belt away. His mom is like, "Yes, Nick." doing the right thing and then he stands there with darby and darby just tells nick get him 
and Wayne screams at him and all you've talked about my father and boom, he turns and he nails Darby with the belt. I'll say this. This used to be the hallmark of like a Vince Russo turn where it was be the guy who's like, you know, he's going to just turn the guy next. I thought they did this one really, really well, where it was like this crowd like gasped at this turn and he nails Darby with the belt, allowing Cage to pin Darby and win the match. Uh, two falls to one, and then Nick Wayne and Christian Cage embrace. Um, before we get to all the post-match stuff, uh, your thoughts on this two out of three falls match um, where Darby may or may not have a working spine. Yeah, I thought it was great. Whenever there's like two out of three matches, you all these scenarios pop in your head of different ways to like cause a finish. So, of course, I thought like maybe Luchasaurus is going to come in and just destroy Darby and just get the DQ win out the way. But now there was no Luchasaurus involvement um, for the first two falls. And then like if you're going to do a count-out spot, this is the way to do it, right? Like, totally destroy this guy by tossing him like a ragdoll against the steel steps. And then, yeah, on top of that, just give him a frog splash on top of a stretcher. You know, why wouldn't you do that? Um, yeah, I thought the match was fantastic, honestly. Like, I, I kind of thought, like, are they going to put this in a main event? Like, I understand what they're looking to do after the match, but, like, is this the right match to do it? And they definitely proved me wrong. I feel like these two definitely tore it up tonight in uh, in Seattle. Literally, yeah. The ring yeah. was uh, just completely a mess after after this. So, um. By this point, if you want to jump into the uh, the the streamyard room, we will be taking calls momentarily as we go through the uh, the post match here. Um, but Wayne and Cage embrace, and then Christian holds Darby Allen, and then he slaps him. He uh, Nick Wayne, that is, is slapping him, yelling about uh, leaving my mom and my dad. So obviously, they will revisit this like legit falling out that Darby had with Buddy Wayne. Yep. And Wayne is attacking him. Sting walks down. If I was Darby, I'd be like, dude, like, uh, at what point was you've been here the whole night? So Sting <laughs> walks down and he's attacking both guys. And then Luchasaurus comes down and they finally outnumber Sting. They beat him down. It was like, dude, this whole crowd, they're all just watching towards yep. the entrance, which is you want to kind of have the anticipation, even if they're like, you're going to have like your doubt, but it, it was well laid out. So they start beating down Sting and then Cage grabs the two chairs for the concerto, like really good teases of like what is coming here. And the lights go out and this place goes nuts. And we see a video of a mysterious man getting into a car, uh, Driving across the city, you see the the text of a uh, rated R superstar, and then with with a revoiced "You think you know me?" Yep, the familiar tune of Alter Bridge plays. Um, this is what uh, Adam Copeland got in the settlement, and he comes out to a gigantic pop, and you've got Nick Wayne and Luchasaurus all like ready to go to war, but Christian is like in the he doesn't know is this guy here? This is uh this is Edge, and he's like calm down and. He, Adam Copeland gets into the ring. He is handed the chair by Christian and he teases giving Sting a concerto. But instead, uh, Nick Wayne gets his own medicine here because he turns and swings it, the chair into his back, then throws it at Luchasaurus and nails Luchasaurus with a spear. Unlike his return at the Royal Rumble, the cameras caught the spear. Yeah. And then uh, Nick Wayne takes a spear, probably the greatest moment of this guy's career. And then Christian Cage escapes the uh, the weasel and he gets out of here and it ends with Adam Copeland shaking Darby's hand and then shaking Sting's hand because here were like the two like crossing ships in the night like Adam Copeland and it didn't really cross over with yeah. Sting in WWE during during that brief period that Sting had there and that's how we go off the air so um your new era is uh I guess Adam Copeland yeah, we knew it was all going to come. Like, this was going to happen, right? Like, especially with the match placement, we knew at the end, like, with the beatdown, like, it was going to happen. But the 
overall presentation was very well done. I'm not going to lie. When the lights went off and they came back on and you saw like the feature presentation thing, I'm like, are they bringing in Sammy Callahan? Because he does like the same exact thing in Impact. He does like the lights out gimmick and then he has like the Quentin Tarantino like feature presentation. Um, but I love that. It kind of reminded me of Kurt Russell uh, in uh, Death Proof, like the Grindhouse movie, because he has like almost the same idea with him in the car and driving up and everything. Um, but yeah, I was totally shocked that they like kept the same music and they even kept the rated R superstar and all that. So it's pretty much Edge. It's Edge just calling. You pretty much got the Edge package here, minus, minus the name, which I think is very replaceable very easily. Um, so um, just to uh, read this, this is from uh, Andrew Thompson with the recap of uh, Adam Copeland did do the press conference afterwards. And uh, Tony Khan stated that Copeland is going to be full time with the company. Copeland expressed that he wants to help and contribute and felt AEW is where he could do that. The WWE Hall of Famer is scheduled to appear on the four year anniversary of Dynamite on October 4th and Collision on October 7th. His first match is taking place on Tuesday night Dynamite on October 10th against Luchasaurus, who he speared at Wrestle Dream. So that is uh, that's the night they are head to head with NXT. Yeah. Uh, Copeland stated that he contacted Darby Allen on Friday night when he landed in Seattle. They shot Copeland's vignette that aired prior to his on-screen arrival. Copeland added that someone saw him at a burger spot prior to his debut, but said individual did not say anything. Speaking about arriving to AEW with Alter Bridge's uh, Metalingus, he said that song comes with him wherever he goes, and Alter Bridge are his friends. So there you have it. That is uh, from Adam Copeland, who will wrestle on October the 10th, which is uh, they are not looking to lose on a, on a Tuesday night. And I, if, if, especially if you have um, potentially uh, FTR and the Bucks on that show, and we know they're doing Soraya and Hikaru Shida, so that will be a loaded up show. But before we get to the calls, John, your overall thoughts on WrestleDream. First of all, I'm very happy that fan didn't like take a picture of like Edge like downing a burger or something. Did you see the picture of uh somebody took a picture of Kenny Omega filming the segment yeah. of Don Callis and Takesh I thought that was kind of funny, but I'm happy that the same thing didn't happen here. But yeah, this this show was amazing. When they first announced it, I was like confused, like, okay, it's an Anoki tribute show and but New Japan talent isn't really available, but once the car was put together, I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. And then, like, just the overall presentation of the show was fantastic. I think next year, if they're able to time it out correctly and actually have some more New Japan involvement, if they continue to do this, I don't know, have they said if they can continue to do this as a yearly thing or is it like a one-off tribute show? I, I'm not sure if they had, like, made that clear or not. But regardless, if they do this next year, I feel like it can only be better. I think you make this a, an annual event. If you're looking to expand your pay-per-view calendar anyway, I think that yep. this could be something you do every year. I really thought this was among the best AEW pay-per-views they've ever produced. I think this will probably be my show of the year. Um, it's certainly a match of the year candidate with Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr. Like, I, I really believe this is yeah one of your all-time great uh, pay-per-views um, that the, the company has produced. Like Really, like among pay-per-views, this would be upper echelon. Um, I a very strong thoughts on this show. My but question let, is: Was was Edge's daughters watching this, or were they too busy watching Taylor Swift possibly show up at the Jets Chiefs game tonight? If I if I could mute everyone on my timeline about everything about like I, I could go off on a whole rant about just the just for this person to just go watch a football game and what a spectacle needs to be made of it. It's like, do you, do you have any wonder why celebrities are put in this like different light and treated like, like they're aliens here uh, yeah. on earth for our amusement. I mean, anyway, it was just like nauseous to be watching this. I was much more happier to be watching uh, uh, the, the show than that, but let us go to the phone lines uh, after that diatribe and hear from someone who is at the climate pledge arena tonight. He is post wrestling zone, Bruce Lord, Bruce. How was the show tonight? It was pretty fantastic. Once again, I was there for Collision last night. And like I was saying to, to Wayne and Kate when I was calling in, there was this just a real sense of anticipation at that show that almost seemed to 
override interest in what was actually happening on Saturday. But yeah, the uh, the big marquee matches here that this crowd was very much excited for, I feel all entirely delivered and got the the you know the hometown reaction that you were looking for from all of the Seattle talent and more than any of them i don't know if if it came across this way on the television or not but the noise for strickland was really something to kind of be in the middle of this uh just real rallying behind him uh kind of in this very sort of no pun intended defiant sort of way like we are yeah we know that you know, this is kind of a one-off thing where he's going to be booed everywhere else. And so therefore we're going to make as much noise as we can for our hometown guy and make him feel like a next level, you know, draw and a next level superstar. Uh, and hopefully that came across, uh, came across on the feed. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, like you were sort of saying a, a minute ago there, so, you know, the whole, you know, Inoki sort of thing. And to what degree is this, you know, a, a new Japan tinted show or whatever. This really did feel like, I mean, if we kind of get abstract or whatever with the Wrestle Dream name, you kind of had some representation of just pretty much every single style that you might possibly see in watching a year's worth of AEW television, you know, from the very technical, you know, like basically blood sport match, you know, with, with, with Claudio and Barnett, the technical how, how match. How did that get over in the, in, in the arena, uh, Bruce, especially not, when it was so early in the show? I really enjoyed watching it, but I can certainly see it's not everyone's cup of tea either. I, yeah, you know, I, I don't think that the crowd even clocked like the, the Barnett-Washington connection uh, for the most part. And it was just sort of like, oh, Claudio's on television and we're not really sure who this guy was. I mean, I was having a great time watching it and, you know, spotting it even as, uh, you know, somebody who doesn't follow uh, MMA. I can enjoy, uh, certainly can enjoy an MMA-styled match. Uh, but that said, uh, Barnett's, you know, promo and uh, conversation with Claudio afterwards, people seem to really respond to that. People, The idea of this sort of being this show of, you know, kind of grace and respect uh, and and the shout outs, you know, to Anoki and everything that Barnett was making, but even more so than the match itself, I think that won people over uh, in, in the room. Match of the show, was it pretty unanimous? It was Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr.? I, for me, it definitely was. Uh, you know, there were parts when the crowd was a little bit more quiet for that. It had ebbs and flows and rises and falls, but I think that that matched up uh, with the structure of the match. Uh you know, and, and purely selfishly, I felt just like so lucky and so fortunate to be physically that close to that match and to be able to just see those transitions and, uh, you know, the, the, the move from submission to submission and whatnot up close and be able to see all of that movement uh, and just how how naturally it came to both guys that just, yeah, that was that was something pretty special, you know, and it did occur to me kind of as, you know, Danielson was walking off there. Okay. You know, if we're talking about this, you know, year long timeline and whatnot, there's a very finite number of times that I will ever see him wrestle in person ever again, you know? So, uh, very much like, uh, you know, seeing Shibata wrestle, it's something that you can't take for granted when you're seeing it. Cause it, you know, there's, there's a time when that just wasn't going to happen and that was, you know, impossible. So yeah, yeah, that was, that, that, that felt, you know, got goosebumps uh, throughout most of that. And just the last thing, how much kind of um, speculation was there just uh, that you could sense among those in the audience about like Adam Copeland? Like was, did did you get the sense like it was a generally like big surprise or did you hear that sort of like trickling its way among the audience? Some of the crowd was definitely surprised, but you'd be hearing 
you know, like the Roddy, the Roddy style, like Adam calls, you know, throughout the night when obviously that's, you know, it wasn't Adam Cole that people were talking about there. So there's definitely, I, I don't know, I'd say maybe like 30% of the crowd definitely had an inkling as to what was coming, but there were certainly uh, all manner of people, including the person sitting to my left, uh, who had no idea that that was coming whatsoever. And they were just completely bowled over by it. Uh, I don't know if it was captured on the feed uh, or if it had gone black by then, but he actually kind of like went out into the crowd and just kind of like walked around uh, and milled about for about four yeah, or we, five Yeah, we minutes. didn't see it. It just went off um, when he was it, just shortly after the the sting handshake. And that was, yeah, no, he, he, he spent like four or five minutes, like revving up the crowd, uh, either from the ring, going out, walking into the crowd, taking selfies with people, high-fiving and everything like that, like really doing this, like, yeah, I'm here and I'm here to do stuff. And, you know, very much trying to sort of underscore one, I'm excited about this, but two, yeah, this is a big deal that I'm here now and, and whatnot, really trying to kind of uh, cement that link or that connection, I think, with an audience that, you know, I mean, you know, speaking personally, it's not a move that makes uh, um, a massive, massive deal for me. But certainly, you know, based on the reaction, the pop that he got, it, it was fantastic. We can debate whether Edge has been a draw for WWE television of recently, recently until the cows come home, I suppose. And there's some data that suggests that maybe he isn't. But, you know, yeah, it was a it was a incredible pop when you when people realized. Yeah. You know, when, when they heard that voice in the altar bridge. Uh, comes in there. I'm, and I'm sorry, John, did you say that that song is called Metalingus? Yes. Yes. I had, I was a happier person not knowing that. I have to admit that's uh It can also be referred there. to as the Adam Copeland theme. Uh, yeah, let's, let's go with that. Let's go with that. We'll, we'll, we'll get the edge out and get the, get, get that unfortunate title out. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I, again, you know, not to kind of harp on about things, but you know, having seen this and see getting to see Forbidden Door, uh, live in person, you know, getting to see Omega and Osprey tangle it up again. You know, you kind of run through and, and just look at the list of matches that were on this, and you just have to say, like, regardless of what's happening with the live draws, you know, and, and the, the ticket sales and things like that, this is a company that is putting together matches that uh, are just incredibly exciting, incredibly tantalizing, and I do think live up to this whole kind of billing this as a, you know, kind of a magical night where, you know, dream matches come true and whatnot. So yeah, very, very, very much worth the trip down the I-5 and, uh, and, a ho- and renting a hotel for a couple of nights uh, to catch the show this weekend. Well, thanks very much, Bruce, on uh, back-to-back nights, giving us the live reports from Seattle. <laughs> and uh, we look forward to hearing you uh, next Saturday with uh, Kate from Montreal. So we will uh, look forward to you on Collision Course next week. Happy to call in, looking forward to getting to talk with Kate about uh, the further adventures of one Mr. Copeland. So, Looking forward to catching up with the rest of your review, guys. Have a good night. All right. Take Thanks care, a lot, Bruce. All right. We are going to keep it going here on the phone lines. Let's go next to uh, Matt from Montreal. Hello, Matt. Hey, guys. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well. What did you think tonight about WrestleDream? All over amazing wrestling pay-per-view, as usual, by AW standards, I would say. Uh, it was so long. I thought that would have a, a little bit of a downtime, but... No, <laughs> zero time time. And I have two questions for you guys. Sure. Um, why did the Bucks won? I think they want to do the match on, on television. Um, I mean, John really wanted to see Orange Cassidy and Hook uh, get the yep. win. I definitely see that team being something they, they continue onward with. And to ditch do, you know, you, you could have had them win tonight. But if I, I really see that being something you do on television as opposed to some, I, I don't see us getting a big, long, drawn out um 
program with them. I think this is going to be, you know, just a chance to do this one on TV um, versus those that, you know, didn't see the match for whatever reason at all in. All right. Um, my match of the night was Swerve versus Hangman. I think the feud is going to continue. It was really, really fucking good. <laughs> and um, at the end, I'm always wondering, I think, John, you, you talked about it. Why did they play the video package before Edge entrance? I think they just wanted the the, the tease of it. You didn't you didn't have to do it, but I think it was just you know building the. It was like ten seconds or fifteen seconds. Yeah, I feel like people already knew Edge was coming in, so just to kind of do this, kind of make the presentation a little bit more, I guess, more powerful. I guess by having you know him, he's finally driving over to AEW, whatever the case is. And I was reading a little bit of a of a Andrew's notes, and like they had just filmed this, like as soon as he like got off the plane on Friday, he met up with Darby, and they filmed this. It was a, a last second decision for them to even do this video package. Okay, so there, I mean, issue, guys. Hey, Thank thanks you. a lot for the call, Matt. We appreciate it. All right, we're gonna. Uh, Go to a regular here. We got Brian from New Jersey. Hello, Brian. What did you think of the show tonight? Excellent. Excellent. Uh, John and John. And uh, also, I noticed Bruce was very visible on the hard cam uh, during the show in his post shirt. So glad yep. I called in uh, earlier from a nice setting. Um, yeah, but within the span of a month, we had these two outstanding AEW pay-per-views and at least two match of the year contenders for Brian Danielson, who I for wrestler of the year and this match with Zach was a work of art to me just it's my favorite active wrestler versus my other favorite active wrestler when Brian was retired and even some of his first couple of years back active that's how big of a fan I've become of Saber and so just that has lived up to my expectations maybe maybe even exceeding them and you know Swerving Hangman was great and Main event was great. Uh, listening to Adam Copeland on the on the presser, uh, it'd be cool if he does follow through on wrestling all these wrestlers he's never faced before and having an open door to others because last guy to say that didn't, didn't really end so well. And uh, uh, also, I hope uh, this women's match tonight isn't the end of Julia Hart's run on TV. I think she's really grown, or at least grown on me. So she's been doing really good stuff. So. Very optimistic for the future of the company. Yeah, I don't think you're alone. I think a lot of people have come away from this program impressed with with Julia Hart, who is still like we make the joke all the time. Like she's 21 years old, and when you think about like the fact she's had two years already of television experience and where she is right now, I mean, she is like when you compare like she is like three years younger than Tiffany Stratton, and I mean, just look at the. <laughs> The match she had just this weekend, I think you know those are uh, two people. I think I think that you would be earmarking for m- much greater. But to John's point earlier, I think it's now okay. You lose the title match. What is the follow up to all of this? Because unfortunately, you can have a big program and then sort of just get put to the side, and you end up in like award low territory. Yeah, yeah, and also you know she's not the youngest person in the company anymore, uh, including. Young Nick Wayne is like nobody could believe it. Her, his mom couldn't believe it. <laughs> so, uh, Mrs. Wayne and John Moxley were uh, great supporting characters tonight. <laughs> that that's true. We need we need a category for uh, yeah best supporting performers on tonight's show. John Moxley <laughs> and Nick Wayne's mom would certainly be the candidates. Yeah. So, well, thanks a lot, Brian. Yeah. Thank you. Have a great that's night. You Take too. Care. 
I, I did get a name, by the way. She is a uh, Shayna, Shayna Wayne. Shayna Wayne. Okay. Well, what do you think you they do with her now? I mean, obviously you can't just get rid of her and you kind of have to have some sort of storyline with, you know, Nick not wanting to listen to mom anymore, but you kind of have to keep her in this story somehow. I think you have to um, do at least some follow-up. Like, obviously, like if you, if you could hear like what Nick was like shouting at Darby, like obviously they're going to play into this like falling out that Darby had with Buddy Wayne. And that would suggest having her like she's somebody like, like she has taken very well to yep. um, the, the role of like the, when, when she's been called upon that I, I, certainly feel that they there, there's more uh to, to be had here yeah i, I mean the, the ultimate heat is like she she joins in and is like christian i know that's, like that, that's what i was thinking that she like you know start dating christian and like he becomes like the stepdad to uh to nick wayne and we haven't even seen her oh, outside they're, of they're gonna totally exploit that like he is now gonna be like the father figure like nick wayne will probably like call him dad and so, like they're gonna lean heavy on that i think that is very clear so I know they announced uh, Copeland versus Luchasaurus, but you would think the the obvious match coming out of this would be like the six man, right? You have Darby, Sting, and Copeland against um, uh, Christian Cage, Luchasaurus, and Nick Wayne. But even down the line, you could even have like Copeland teaming up with FTR because they have that relationship between those three. You could have them as a trios down the line. It could be like the new CMFTR, but it would be like I don't know, rated R T R or something. Yeah, sure or, or maybe something. there's still some outstanding issues when uh. Uh, Cash and Dax didn't uh, respond to that home invasion by Seth Rollins mm. when he called them on on SmackDown. There, there's so much that you can do, and I'm always interested to see someone like outside of, of a WWE system and and what differences there are, and you know, just you know, the the canvas is there for a lot um, that that you can certainly. Uh, do with an Adam Copeland, but and rated, rated FTR. That's that's the name that I was trying to think of. Oh, I okay. actually I read that they actually WWE abandoned that that trademark back in 2020 for rated R superstar. So it was, it was just up for anybody at that point. Let's go. We've got another call here from Muggin. Muggin, your thoughts on tonight's wrestle dream pay-per-view. Oh man, I was not surprised. Look at the grin on Muggin. I mean, he just <laughs> had the time of his life tonight. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, John, I, uh, I, I tuned into wrestle dream to see, uh, Brian and, uh, Zach Super Jr. Mm-hmm. And was, I, I tuned in for that. And, um, there was no crazy bumps. It was just a. It was like it was just technical wizardry, like you know, from bell to bell. It was a part of the match too. Like you, you had this stellar match, and yeah, there was nothing in that match where you're like worried about this. And like for Brian Danielson, listen, like this last year, it would just be so detrimental. Sure, he's working with like a rod in his arm and such. Like that would be just so disastrous if he had some like big injury. And he's had a lot of them lately. You watch a match like tonight, and that's something that. I'm not saying you you can do that all the like every single night, but it's one that like on on the risk scale, it's much lower than say like you know s- s- other comparisons. Like you know, I don't want to see this guy taking a Michinoku driver off the onto the stairs. Yeah, I mean, like you know, him and Zach work beautifully together, and and, and you know, it's and this is the kind of match that really like is a breath of fresh air because you know, Dynamite is you know, AEW has this like this uh this uh PWGs style that that is like as that is so prevalent. And uh, when you see a match like this, it definitely is a nice little, definitely a nice little palate cleanser to everything. And uh, going ahead to the main event, look, I mean, listen, Christian is such part of my tongue. Christian is such a fuck boy. If we're trying to hit on, uh, if we're trying to hit on Nick Wayne's mother. <laughs> and uh, as far as and as far as and um, when so Elijah John Moxley here calling in, yeah, Moxley. Speaking of which, Moxley was Moxley was a laugh right on commentary. He was a laugh right, and. Uh, Man, is it just me or is it the international? Also, um, the international title is it? Is it become the Madden cover curse for AW? 
Because wow, you know, we're... Felix getting hurt, Moxie getting hurt. You know what I mean? It's, I mean, Orange Cassidy is lucky for that he didn't get hurt for all this time. I mean, like he was almost like the he was almost like a mummy for, for, for some of those injuries. Now, before I let you guys go, I want to talk quickly about the main event. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Nick Wayne turn was easy to see coming. I saw that. I definitely saw that coming. But and I also saw it coming when when the when Edge when Adam Copeland showed up. I mean, as soon as the car ran, as soon as the car drove past, I saw the radar written on the road. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. That was it. That was it. <laughs> now, um, long term, long term, I think long term. I mean, Copeland and Christian Cage is definitely a match to happen, but you don't need the TV, TNT title to do it. But I do see uh, a scenario where Luchasaurus will will abandon Christian Cage because you know because you saw you saw a collision with the Triple Threat. Christian pinned Luchasaurus, and mm-hmm. after, after months of taking credit for him winning the TNT championship. You have to think at some. You have to think like around full gear that Luchasaurus will like you know gain the power of self respect. Especially when you figure he's he's losing to Adam Copeland in his first yeah. match, and it's like he's letting down Christian. Like uh, you could certainly see that sort of fall, falling apart at, at some point. But I I can see like John's idea, like getting at least getting the six man in, and maybe that's yeah. you know the the breaking point. Like Luchasaurus loses yet again, um, that kind of thing. Honestly, Christian and Nick Wayne together, I think that's like your. You've got Luchasaurus as like the muscle. It, it can work, but they've already kind of been introducing that that dissension with like the the title switch and where you can go from this. And we could possibly get get where Christian becomes a stepdad and Nick Wayne has to rename himself to Nick Cage. Oh my god, <laughs> dude, John Cena just bringing uh, the heat tonight. You're on one, Cena. You're on one. And he's going uh, to be making some trademark uh, uh, inquiries tomorrow. And one last thing before I let you all go, um, Bucks in you know Bucks in FTR four. Do you think it's going to be a full gear in, uh, in the key form? No, I, I see this one being on TV. I don't. I don't see them holding this one off that that long. That would be my thought. I I, I could see them like. I can see them doing it as early as next Tuesday on on Dynamite. But I, you have a lot of Dynamites before then. I, I wouldn't hold yeah. this one off until that. And do you guys think? Do you guys think Roger Strong will uh, will take in will will fill in for Adam Cole? Tagging with MJF because MJF retained the championship. MJF retained the tag titles on his own. I mean, it was, it was they kept it short, which is nice. But I mean, I think long term because I don't know when Cole's going to be healing. He's going to be 100. percent But they they have to put they have to put the title one. They have to put the title on Roger Strong just to keep MJF busy because between that and of course Switchblade down the road. I mean, they could do the Switchblade match for Jeff for uh, Title Tuesday. I think. Yeah. Yeah, you could you could you could do that as well. Like, where do you see John going with uh, the Roderick Strong direction at this point? Yeah, I mean, there was five guys that attacked him, so in my head, I was thinking it could be Taven Bennett. Oh, is it, is it Taichi's crew? They've got like the mystery uh, fifth man they're going to introduce uh, next week. Maybe maybe uh, that's who it was. Yeah, the new five guys. But no, I figured it could be uh, Cole, Roddy, Kyle O'Reilly, possibly be back, and then the Kingdom as like the five guys um, that are there. You know, I think the ultimate plan was for Cole to like lure MJF in and then finally take the title from him, which I think is what's going to happen eventually. But the, didn't 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 O'Reilly have fusion neck fusion like a year ago? Because I don't know mm-hmm. I don't know where he's at. Yeah, mm-hmm. but who knows? You know, AEW's full of surprises, aren't they? Well, clearly, as we saw at the end of the night, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, it wasn't really a surprise, anyways. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks as always, Muggin. All right, uh, this for real. I think is our, our last call here. We got Andy. Andy, uh, what did you think of uh, Russell Dream tonight? Hello. I uh, guys, uh, uh, today was a public holiday in India, so thankfully I got to um, watch Russell Dream. And um, thank you for the public holiday because I'd say this is one of my favorite shows of the year. 
absolutely had a blast. Brian versus Zack Sabre Jr. was everything I could have hoped for and more. And um, just the mark-out moment at the end um, was the cherry on top of the cake. So there has been this narrative that AEW is feeling a little cold, a little bit stale and everything. But I haven't felt that to be the case um, over recent times. Ever since, I would say, Grand Slam, I've been like really hooked on to the product. I've started buying the storylines. I've been buying the characters. And today we get to the show and I'm like hooked um, onto many of the characters. I'm rooting for outcomes. I feel like they're starting to turn a corner. I don't think it's so much the the quality of the shows that have diminished. I think they're on a great run of these pay-per-views. I just think when we're looking at, you know, what has been the the public's response to a lot of these shows and this has been, you know, they're they're going through a cold period when it comes to some of their uh from from a live event pr- perspective. I mean, even tonight like 6,000 or so at the Climate Pledge Arena, like it's it's well down from when they debuted in the market, but I like these pay-per-views are delivering in a big way and we'll see if there's an immediate effect of Adam Copeland coming in, if that's going to spike uh, ticket sales. Like it does feel as though they're, they're coming out of this show with a, a lot of in- interesting places of w- where you can go. And if that momentum transfers to business for, for the company, but it's not so much a quality issue for me, I would say most dynamites and collisions, you, you leave pretty satisfied. I, I would say o- overall. Yeah, because the one criticism I've always had of AEW um, a, a little bit over the last 15 months is that I don't think they've always done the greatest job of building up to pay-per-views. And um, I, I think, you know, I think that's turned a corner as well. And I think giving them monthly pay-per-views, even if it's diluting them a little bit, I think could help give them a lot more direction. Yeah, it's it's a great point, Andy. I think that when you have less time to to build them up, it you know, there, there's a big difference from going from three months in between pay-per-views to four weeks uh, between this one. And this was a card that, you know, on, on paper, like it looked, it looked outstanding and I think it over delivered uh, fr- from that. So you, you'd be happy to see them go to a, a near monthly model if they make that, that jump in 2024. And it gives more people the opportunity to, to have like matches, right? Like a Julia Hart might not have gotten a pay-per-view match if this Wrestle Dream show didn't just kind of spawn out of nowhere so it definitely gives people more an opportunity to actually have some spotlight on them uh, so there's just one last question and i'll take um, your answer off the air sure. um there's this groundswell on twitter that i saw today where people are saying oh surely this means punk goes to wwe i still kind of think it's unlikely where do you guys stand on that thank you all right thanks a lot andy where's cm punk going john do you have the answers uh, where where would you like to see him go? If he, if he's adamant on his wrestling career continuing, like where do you uh, like throwing AEW out as a as an option at this st- standpoint? Well, he's not going on heel season three, that's for sure, because that unfortunately that's... came to an end. Um, I know like people in Impact have been saying like, oh, it'd be great to have him here. Obviously, it would be, but I can't. I feel like CM Punk would be too big for like an Impact. Like that's like your third company, North America wise, right? So I feel like you have to go to WWE at this point. It's like the the one thing that hasn't happened. They teased it with the whole backstage hosting duty that he had. Um, but I feel like, yeah, this is the time to do it. And like, it's literally going to be like his last chance. <laughs> like WWE just has to do it at this point. You put him in the hall of fame, do the whole deal with the legends contract and give him like one last run. It's what people have been waiting for since he left like what, 10 years ago at this point. Yeah. It could be a very interesting, like sliding doors. If you see like in a couple of months time, CM Punk going there and you get edge in, AEW and is is there a discernible difference that you see in Adam Copeland in this run versus uh, what we saw in the comeback run in WWE like he certainly got the people to work with and 
but again, like you have a lot of people in these like kind of legend roles and like here is another one that is going to command like to justify you, you need to put this guy in, in a lot of like key programs taking up a lot of television time. And there, there's certainly the reason to do it coming out here, but you're in a company that still does have sting and still does have a Chris Jericho. And you know, there, there's many of these names and they all re- require a lot of time and big angles. So is he going to be Collision Copeland? Is he going to be like the the one person to spotlight on Saturday nights now that CM is gone? Yeah, well, it's interesting that they are putting him on both shows this week, and whether you see him like acclimate to a uh, like like a once a week, um, whether it's Wednesdays or, or Saturdays, or if we just see this kind of loose back and forth as as we see with a, a lot of the guys, but that will be the big talking point coming out of uh, tonight's show, uh, which was an excellent excellent pay per view. I, I would say. Are you leaning towards this as your show of the year, John? Where does this one stack up? It might be up there, honestly. Like I, I can't really see any bad matches. I would cut a match or two that didn't really need to be on this long of a show, but I this match this this entire show was was great from beginning to ending. So I, it might be up there as as my my show of the year, and especially a show that we didn't really expect much. Right, we just knew what it was by title, we knew what it was by theme, and then the card kind of literally just came in front of us like weeks before the show actually happened. So because of that alone, I feel like it definitely deserves to be uh, talked about as one of the best shows this year. Well, hopefully this was one of the best shows of the year that you listened to with our review, the great John Cena joining us here on a back-to-back night. You can also go back, listen to him and Braden go through the NXT No Mercy show from Saturday night, which was a pretty good show itself. I thought the last few matches were excellent on that show. And uh, we also are going to be back Monday night. It is Rewind a Raw with myself and Wei Ting. We'll have a, a live report from Wei on how Wu-Tang uh, performed in Toronto. And then... uh Lots to come. We will be unveiling our schedule for the month of October, Monday night on Rewind to Raw. And again, a reminder that we are uh, putting out audio updates of the daily news updates, Monday, Wednesday, Friday this week for Double Double and Ice Cap members over at postwrestlingcafe.com, where you can also get ad-free versions of our pay-per-view reviews, Rewind to Raw and Rewind to Dynamite. And you can, of course, John, catch your work where? I am at the Poison Rana uh, feed. You can catch me. Uh, what up, though? We just put up a new episode, me and B Detroit. So if you liked our work on uh, Up Next, covering for three weeks, we go into the entire Heels second season. Uh, we talk, talk about some Halloween movies that we've seen or some movies that we're seeing as well. And, of course, Shine the Dark every Thursday on the Poison Rana feed. Uh, you can hear me talk about MLW and NWA and Impact Wrestling and Rampage I talk about as well. Uh, Ring of Honor, which has a lot of stuff happening on a weekly basis. So check that out, 15 minutes or less, on the Poison Rana feed. The one man. In pro wrestling media, weekly covering women of wrestling, the third yeah. biggest show in the in the in U.S. professional wrestling, so uh, or third biggest company, I should say. So there you go. Check out all of his work. Poisonrana.ca. Shot in the dark. A must listen to. Fifteen minutes every week. He there, there, there's no there's no fat on the show. I mean, it's all just boom caffeine right to your veins. What's going on in professional wrestling? And he will be back next week, Saturday night with Wei Ting to cover fast lane. So you're in high demand, Mr. Sino. So I look forward to, uh, to listening to that with, uh, the two of you next weekend. And that is it for us. Thank you for tuning into our wrestle dream review. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pocket. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.